Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we got UFC 275 coming to us from the Singapore Indoor Stadium over there in Kalong, probably nailed it, Singapore, this Saturday. Uh, it is a standard UFC pay-per-view lineup in what might be considered this new generation of UFC pay-per-views, meaning that you have two titles on the line. Glover Tashira putting the light heavyweight title on the line against Yuri Prohaska, and then, of course, you have Valentina Shevchenko with the women's flyweight title. Uh, that'll be contested over against Talia Santos, and then... I don't know how we want to consider this women's strawweight contender fight with uh, Zhang Wiley against Ioana Jacek. That's another kind of interesting fight on this card. We're going to spend some time on today's show talking about each one of those fights. One of them will be in listener mail. The other two will be during the second half of the show when we get into individual rounds here. I guess, first of all, though, I just wanted to check check with you to see what's your level of hype over UFC 275. Because on the surface, this doesn't look like the world's biggest seller. It doesn't look like the world's biggest blockbuster pay-per-view. Uh, but I'm kind of intrigued by Glover Tashira versus Yuri Prohaska. This seems like maybe one for the hardcores. Where are you at on this? Well, first of all, full disclosure, I got to say right off the bat, for the sake of this show and for the sake of putting my opinion about UFC 275 in some context, I'm, I'm only halfway here right now i'm in a fog over here my my oldest daughter has covid and we've been quarantined just locked down here together this is where it's 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 nice to be divorced and have two houses to choose from because i could send the youngest one away to her mother's house keep her away from this this dreaded plague she has not gotten it her older sister has i just had about a month ago so i'm at no real risk and man I'm telling you it's just 24 hours a day just the two of us just eyeball to eyeball in here you know, not going anywhere, raining out, can't take a kid with COVID anywhere. And so we have played so goddamn much Monopoly over the last few days that right now we're sitting here, we're talking MMA. My mind is on Tennessee Avenue 
You know, my mind is with the B&O Railroad. Trying to think what's it going to take for me to also scoop up the short line railroad. You know what I'm saying? Uh, That being said, there is something about the ongoing situation of the improbable title reign of one Glover Teixeira that I really appreciate. And yet, I also, I'm intrigued by what young Yuri P brings to the table as well. He seems like a guy who can be an exciting champion, potentially who brings a lot of, of energy into the fight, has, has a fun style to watch. But I'm a 42-year-old man, and it's hard for me not to want to see Glover Teixeira hold it down for as long as possibly he can. And that alone is enough to get me sort of interested. I'll tell you what else I appreciate. USC 275, we're going to go over there to Singapore. The, I believe it's the government of Singapore that owns this arena. Are they going to go ahead and sell it out to where it's like, the, you know, the douchebag tech company stadium no no they are not chad say what you will about the the government over there and it's maybe some we might see it as sort of extreme control over things in singapore but we're just gonna go ahead and call it the singapore indoor stadium bruh you know what i mean i mean not to be confused with the singapore outdoor stadium i assume obviously i mean that's see it is, I, I saw on Wikipedia, Chad, that it's in walking distance of the Singapore National Stadium. Uh, this is all, of course, collectively uh, part of the, what Wikipedia tells me is, quote, the wider Singapore Sports Hub. So what's the sports district? It's going down there in the sports district in Singapore. Yeah. How do you not like that? I mean, I, I think we're all pumped for it. I'm sure our listeners will be eager to know that you are unprepared and unfocused as we head into yeah. this episode of the co-main event podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME. If you nasty or like us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines or podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now, you got to check us out over on Patreon, patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben folks and I are over there party rocking with three additional podcasts every single week. Uh, You can check out the Wednesday live chat, Hashtag wild on Wednesday, where we spend a full hour answering your questions, the questions of the beloved patrons of the CME. We've also got the Friday Power Hour, which is an additional hour of curated MMA talk every single week. It features the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings. And then on Thursday, just for the heads, the real heads, the top tier patrons of the co-main event, we got doing the damn thing. And that's a little bit of a change of pace. We talk about all of the non-MMA related stuff we feel like might be of interest to the top tier patrons. So check us out over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. Get on the team and enjoy all of that extra content every single week. This week, we got music from our guy, CME listener, beloved patron, Doug Ty, a.k.a. Spider Fighting. He describes his music as instrumental beat music that straddles the non-existent line between aging indie dork and backpack, backpack, boom, bap. I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash spiderfighting. We got three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Volkov blasted the biggie boy on Saturday, which will look great on his Wikipedia page in a year or so. But honestly, to what end? And did Herb Dean screw up a stoppage again? And in round number two, Old Dog versus Young Weirdsmobile. It's Glover Tashira versus Yuri Prohaska in the main event of UFC 275. And in round number three, does 
Natalia Santos have a shot against Valentina Shevchenko. Odds makers seem to say not really. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This Did week, I tell you, I, I, just, I just live for you saying boom bap. Yeah, I mean. Backpack boom bap every single time. People send us these descriptions and I, I, I feel like sometimes they don't fully comprehend that I have to say them out loud. So backpack boom bap. Aging indie dork and backpack boom bap. That's, I love it. That'll trip you up right there if you're it, not careful. It brings a smile to my face. It's worth it. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by Fulton and Rourke. We've been talking about Fulton and Rourke these last few weeks. Probably the favorite sponsor that the co-main event podcast has ever had. They've been with us for a long time. We're more than business associates at this point. I feel like we're friends. And I'd say blood brothers, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to meet some of these guys down there in Vegas for the meetup this 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 uh, July. July 4th weekend, so maybe we can become Blood Brothers. And if you want to freshen up your whole smell game, your whole scent palette, you know how to do it. Get a whole new aroma toolbox. There's tons of cool stuff going on over at Fulton and Rourke. We told them about the new fragrance last week. What was it called? Devil's Garden. Is that what it was? Man, just won a new award over there for that one. Uh, tons of cool stuff. Like I said, going on at Fulton and Rourke. If you can check it out for yourself, CME listeners can save 15% on their first purchase with the coupon code. If you nasty, that's all one word. If you nasty, of course, it's all going on over there at Fulton and Rourke.com. Check it out. Fulton and Rourke.com. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us, Ben from Durango, Dan, who writes, okay, I saw some people on Twitter Positively comparing uh, Movsar Ivolev. How do I say this guy's name? I had it written down at one point. Ivloev. That's how I say it. Movsar Ivloev to uh, former co-main event guy Frankie Edgar. Well, I don't know that it's an exact comparison. I wonder if Movsar might take over for the old man and become the young man? Young guy? Young fella? Discourse. (laughs) I mean, this was an impressive performance from Evlo- Evloev. Fuck, I got to get this right, man. This guy's going to be it's around. It's going to be different this, every single time you say it. I know. See, this, <laughs> see, this is one of the guys where I have to learn how to say his name because it seems like he's going to be around for a while. He yeah, seems like he is going to be a problem at 145 pounds. Kind of beat the brakes off Dan Ige here in the co-main event last weekend uh, of the Volkov versus Rosenstrike card he has advanced to 16 and 0 he is only 28 years old yet another of these young up-and-coming russian fighters that feel like they have the whole game figured out i believe he's now 6 and 0 in the ufc and uh in terms of of his fitness at featherweight and whether or not he goes on to become a title challenger i would say it seems like a very good bet and uh just another one of these guys the ufc an embarrassment of riches in terms of talent at all of these somewhat lighter weight classes. And this guy's no exception. Really impressive out there against uh, Danny Gay this past weekend. If ever there was somebody who could use a nickname, if only to help us with pronunciation problems. God, I hope, it's, I hope his nickname is John Smith. He doesn't, he doesn't have a nickname right now. At least uh, nothing on Tapology, nothing on Wikipedia. I mean... Wikipedia notes his name as Movsar Magomedovich Ivloev. 
which maybe we just go MME. It's been a while since we had somebody, I feel like, who had the three initials, uh, like a GSP mm-hmm. kind of figure. Mm-hmm. Like, that's always fun. MME, maybe maybe we go something there. Or uh, Wikipedia also tells me that he has a degree in computer programming and law. Oh, there, we got to cool. be able to do something there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so just, just kind of, uh, made it look somewhat easy against Dan Ige out there this past weekend. I want to note this, these couple of tweets here from our guy, Sean Alshadi over the weekend who tweeted between Ovsar, Evloyev, Ilya Tupuria, Bryce Mitchell, and Arnold Allen, 145 pounds is low key stacked with an incredible under thirties talent, uh, roster coming up the ladder. The future at featherweight is obscenely bright. If Alexander Volkanovsky can get through this last Holloway chapter, the floodgates are about to open for the next generation uh, to get their shots. It's very, very exciting. I kind of agree with that, man. It seems like uh, featherweight and lightweight, frankly, at this point, shaping up as your marquee divisions in the UFC right now. And especially at 145, where, uh, you know, we have a tendency to focus a lot on what's going on at the top of the heap. And uh, Alexander Volkanovsky and, and Max Holloway about to do it again for seemingly the 100th time. But uh, there, there's a lot of young talent here knocking on the door that I think is about to make things super interesting up there at the championship level here over the next couple of years. Yeah, uh, you kind of you, you pinpointed this before this event where you looked at the odds and what the odds makers thought we were doing here. And you were kind of like, I don't think they put this together. Because they wanted to showcase Dan Ige. Yeah. And he turns out that you are right. It looks like they, they did put this together in, in a good card placement for this one to gather everybody's attention to be like, hey, have you seen this guy yet? Check out this guy. And I, I mean, I tell you, you look around at all the, the wealth of talent that you have to choose from in those divisions. It seems like maybe having the UFC care enough to put you in a good spot is the real difference maker because otherwise you might have to win nine, ten in a row before we bother to learn how to pronounce your name or come up with a suitable nickname so that we don't have to pronounce your name. Yeah. You know uh, what I mean? In this fight, Eve Loyev started a little bit slow, kind of a feeling out process, but when he landed that flying knee on Dan Ige, maybe about midway through the first round. Seems like it took him about three minutes to get comfortable. Then he landed that flying knee. And after that, it kind of opened the floodgates and he just sort of started to pour it on. And it was, it was pretty one-sided from that point on. So just an impressive performance here for a guy getting a big shot against uh, what was sort of a jump up in competition for him, a jump up you're right in, in terms of focus and his position on the card. And so, uh, he passed the test, man. Passed it with flying colors. It will be interesting to see what they do next with this guy. And like I said, just just one of a handful of guys, as as Sean Alshadi points out here, who are shaping up as the new generation of featherweight contenders. So interesting stuff. Good to hear there from Durango Dan, who, according to my Googling, is a horse. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. surprisingly literate then. I don't know if we've heard from a horse before on the Coleman Event Podcast. Well, now we're going to go on to this next question that comes to us from Toucan Ham. <laughs> yeah, I love it. One of your favorite I names, I know, of the yep. frequent emailers of the podcast. Uh, Toucan Ham writes, is this Joanna's last chance at title relevancy, a.k.a. the Holly Holm Crossroads? Even though I thought she won the first fight against Wiley, the costs certainly didn't match the reward. Uh, so like I said at the beginning of the show, a women's 
strawweight featured bout here. Zhang Weili going to take on Joanna Jajic. And I agree, at 34 years old at this point, the former champion, Joanna former champion here, in kind of an interesting position uh, against Zhang Weili. Going to be her second fight against Weili, obviously, in a row. We haven't seen... Joanna Jajic at all since March of 2020. There was a lot of talk about a new contract. She definitely seemed like she wanted to come back to the UFC to fight again, but it sort of seemed like she wanted to do it on her own terms. At this point, she's got what I think is a new long-term deal, probably going to lock her up with the UFC until until she's done. Uh, she is just two and four in her last six fights, including those back-to-back losses to Rose Namajunas, including the loss to Valentina Shevchenko and the most recent split decision uh, at UFC 248, which, uh, as Toucan Ham notes here, was just a banger of a fight and like an awesome yeah. scrap. But at the same time, this is the one uh, where everyone everyone's faces uh, started to appear quite different than when they started. Yeah. And so, uh, a lot, a lot, I think to to see about Joanna Jacek in this upcoming fight: how much she has left, how good she's able to to look. Certainly, no slouch in terms of opposition. They didn't do her any favors here with what might be considered considered kind of a comeback fight after more than a year away. Uh, it's it's going to be a, a tough test for her, a stiff test against Zhang Weili. But again, if these two can, you know, uh, catch lightning in a bottle again and recreate the, the magic of that first fight, even a little bit, I think we're, we're kind of all in for a treat. It's kind of crazy to me to think that we haven't seen her since that fight. It feels like we have. I mean, at least it feels like she's been around, you know, been in our minds. And yet that's over two years ago now. And I mean, in fairness, if ever there was a fight that where you need to take the next two years off before you feel ready to fight again, maybe it was that one. So fair enough on that. I'll just point this out. You remember how Joanna and Jacek became Joanna champion? Remember who she took the belt off? Are you asking me or, or is this a rhetorical I'm asking question? You. I'm asking you. Do you remember? Why would you ask me that? I, I mean, since because you follow this sport, I don't know. Felt like maybe, maybe you would remember. Okay, I'll tell you, Chad. Yoanny and Jacek became UFC champion after she put a beaten on Carla Asparza, who became the UFC champion after she beat Rose Namajunas. Now, I don't have to tell you what's going on in the division right now. Carla Asparza is currently champion after she beat Rose Namajunas. So if you're Yoanna and Jacek and you've been thinking, well, okay, I had quite a series with Rose and nobody interested in doing yet another fight in that. Maybe my my title relevancy does take a hit there. You come back, maybe you win this one. And then maybe you're back in that conversation. Maybe history just repeats itself. You know what I mean? Maybe you think to yourself, eh, one win here. I start being like, hey, you guys, remember the good old days? Remember back when I when I beat the brakes off Carlos Barza at UFC 185 in March of 2015? Let's do it again, brother. And then, you know, you go on uh, like her two-year title reign again. Just rinse and repeat. What do you think about that? I would be a heck of a turnaround for Joanna Jacek if that were to come to fruition. Uh, I personally think that Toucan Ham is probably right here. This is an important fight for her. Uh, she's, she's getting into her middle thirties. Like I said before, she had previously been, uh, kind of like a, a UFC loyalist, a company person, a person that the, the few times that I've interviewed her has been just, uh, over the, over the top a little bit in her praise of everything going on 
in the UFC. And I wonder now if you get to these uh, middle middle age of of being an athlete here, you're you're trying to get a new contract. I wonder if like a lot of like a lot of people, Joanna Jacek was forced to confront what she had given the company and then what she felt like uh, she was getting back because you know she had said all along she wanted to be a kind of a UFC fighter for life. Uh, but it seems like it took a while to to get back to get her back in the cage here. So uh, so we'll see what happens with that. She's she does finally have this new contract, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's gonna it would be uh, it would be unexpected, I think, for her to put together a run like that. If that's if that's what you think will happen, but, but first she got to get by Zhang Weili, uh, which is a, a, a kind of a big hurdle, kind of a big thing to yeah. get by. Next question this week comes to us from the Mission District Crow, who writes. Uh, I would love you guys to spend a few moments saying lots of positive shit about Felice Herrig. Uh, While much can be said of her career, it is undisputable that Herrig was ahead of her time in women's MMA when it came to knowing her persona, the fan base, and exactly how to market herself for the greatest exposure, especially when women's MMA, frankly, was incredibly niche back in the day. Uh, Though MMA Reddit and others criticized her for perceptions of sexualized presentations, in this era of influencer culture, Herrig's smarts here feel prescient to what the online promotions game became. Uh, and she didn't have to get into cringy brawls in a buffet line to do it. Extra points if you can talk about her wins. Felice Herrig called it a career this past weekend, Ben, a loss to Karolina Kovalkiewicz at this fight night event. Uh, four losses in a row here for Felice Herrig, and, and that's going to do it for her after a long career that, frankly, is one of these careers uh, started all the way back in, in 2009. So when you talk about Felice Herrig, you're talking about one of these peoples that people that should probably be recognized as a bit of a pioneer in the women's MMA game and did most of her work uh, elsewhere before arriving in the UFC. She came in on the off that season of the ultimate fighter in 2014. I believe she lost in the quarterfinals of the tournament, but ended up winning uh, beat Lisa Ellis at the, uh, at the live finale. And that kickstarted uh, her UFC career, which has gone on until last weekend, a lot of ups and downs, uh, in this thing. She lost to Paige Van Zant, but then put together four wins in a row. But if I'm not mistaken, uh, after this win over Courtney Casey at UFC 218, I think she had to have knee surgery, blew out her ACL. And it has been a few knee surgeries for, uh, Felice Herrick. I believe she mentioned referenced that, uh, either in her post-fight interview or at the press conference. I can't remember which one, uh, but you know, as she, she gets into her, she's 37 years old. So as she gets into her mid to late thirties, it seemed like those knee surgeries, those injuries kind of stacked up against her. And then she goes on this extended streak of losses before she, she calls it quits. But I think, you know, like the mission district crow says here, if we're going to be honest about Felice Herrick, I think, yeah, you got to acknowledge her as sort of a pioneer and as a person who, who did establish themselves as, as, a personality and someone yeah. who had a, a profile in this sport before everyone was doing that. And yeah. here she was managed to uh, parlay into a nice long UFC career. And that is something that I think that you do got to have to give her some credit for. And something that has aged honestly better than I thought it would is because I remember those days when Felice Herrig was kind of newish to MMA, you know, she came from kickboxing and then, really started to gain some attention quickly once she was in MMA and not everybody loved the way she did it. It was, she was not afraid to, to sell sex appeal uh, as part of the, the, the 
presentation that she was offering to get attention from fans and media. And this was also at a tricky time for women's MMA in general because it was still less accepted than the men's side of the sport. You know, we were talking about whether the UFC would ever allow women in it. And I knew, I knew a lot of the female fighters were feeling like, hey, when you do shit like this, you make it harder for us as a whole to be taken seriously. And yet Felice Herrick sort of recognized that this is an attention economy, especially in combat sports, and that getting people to know your name is half the battle. Uh, then you got to win the fights and worry about all that part of it. But you can win plenty of fights, and if people just don't know you and don't care, don't have a reason to, to be invested in you or to remember who the hell you are, then you don't really get anywhere. And so she was you know, willing to, to really go hard at that angle of it, and it paid off for her. But also, you look at somebody where you know she started, uh, I think, had her first pro MMA fight in like 2009, and then here it is, 2022, she's in the UFC and retires there. I mean... That's somebody who really proved it, that that she was for real, that she was not just, you know, doing magazine layouts and things like that, that, that she actually was also a for real fighter. Uh, and she earned her respect that way over time and now is sort of one of the respected elder stateswomen of MMA. And you got to give her credit for that, you know, because I think at the time, if you'd gone back to like 2010, 2011 and asked people their opinion about Felice Herrig, I don't think anybody would tell you, you know, 10, 11 years from now, she's going to, like, when she does finally call it quits, it will be in the UFC. Yeah. You know? Next question this week comes to us from Patrick Milder, who writes uh, over on Patreon. He said, my wife's favorite fighter is Aaron Blanchfield. So she was very excited going into this weekend. However, while listening to the Power Hour last week, she was heartbroken to hear that her favorite fighter doesn't know her, my wife's favorite actor, Tom Hanks. How do I console her through this troublesome time? Uh, we talked about this, obviously, on the Power Hour, Ben. Aaron Blanchfield went out over the weekend, defeated J.J. Aldrich, got that nasty standing high elbow guillotine choke, uh, and ended up getting the win. Aaron Blanchfield is 23 years old, so a young person coming into this game. Now 3-0 and in the UFC after a five-fight tenure in Invicta. Uh, back-to-back wins now over J.J. Aldrich and Miranda Maverick. I believe she got on the mic and called out the winner of Jessica I against Macy Barber, which is coming up uh, next month, I think. So uh, a good showing all around from the young Aaron Blanchfield, who not only gets the submission, but has a call-out in her pocket for the post-fight interview. But the thing you were talking about last week on the Power Hour is that they did one of these things where they took young Aaron Blanchfield and they showed her pictures, correct? Of uh, yeah. pop culture icons, people you might yeah. think everyone would recognize. And one of the people that she didn't know by sight was Tom Hanks, which for a couple of old guys like us, that's that'll blow your hair back. What, what hair you got left on top of your head, that'll blow it back to find out that there are people in this world too young to know who Tom Hanks is. Well, she knew who he was. She's just like, I know this guy. I've seen his movies and stuff, but I don't. I can't think of his name. I don't know his name. And then they were like, Tom Hanks. She was like, oh, okay. And it's like, that's blew me away. Because it's just like, you know, there's lots of character actors and stuff out there who you'd see. And you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, I know that guy. But I don't, I don't have a fucking clue Yeah, that's what, what you is. say when you see Brian Dennehy or somebody. You know, you're like, oh, I've seen that guy in a million movies, but I don't <laughs> know his Gary name. Gary Oldman Not Tom or Hanks. something. You, you know? know, you yeah. gotta know Tom Hanks, right? Tom fucking Hanks. And then, and yeah, in fairness... Saving Private Ryan came out in 1998. 
Aaron Blanchfield came out in 1999. You know? Yeah. So, I, like, I do still think that I, I, it's amazing to me that you you made it through this point in your life just surrounded by American culture and did not pick up, did not sort of have it burned into your, your brain stem the way the rest of us have, that that is Tom fucking Hanks. And yet, okay, I guess that's that's the whole reason they do that game. That fun little game is to see, like, hey, here are some people who, you know, maybe the rest of us remember them most fondly from the 90s, a a decade you sort of showed up at the very tail end of, do you know these people's names? Still, Tom Hanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. Tom fucking Hanks. Tom Hanks. Last question this week comes to us from Davis Winden Willis. Wilden Willis. Wilden Willis. I don't know. He writes, guys, do we really have to keep talking about Greg Hardy as he prepares to start a new life as some kind of boxer? Seems like every MMA site has a story about it. Shouldn't we just let him fade into the back of our minds like a thing later we can insist never happened? What gives? I, I'm, Man, I'm on this, board with this. I don't. I, yeah. like, I don't know that we need to keep covering the the athletic travails of Greg Hardy if he is not going to be intimately involved with the niche sport that we all cover. We could, especially if he's going to boxing. Let's. I mean, we felt like at times the UFC was trying to set him up with some fights. Right? You know, they they maybe got away from that later on. But they were like, we, either this guy can fucking fight or he can't. Let's find out. But for a while, it felt like they were setting him up with some fights that they wanted him to win and felt like he had a good chance to win. He still found a way to lose some of those. But if they're going to do that in the UFC, now he's going to boxing. Don't you think there's going to be even more of that? Don't you think it's not exactly going to get more legit in terms of the opponents we find for Greg Hardy? That's why, I mean, and he's totally right about this, Davis Wilden Willis, because when I saw this news, that Greg Hardy is going to go be a pro boxer now. It was like that scene in Terminator 2 where we're fighting the T-1000, whatever, and we freeze him with, like, liquid nitrogen, and then Schwarzenegger shoots the bullet through it, shatters him, mm-hmm. and you're and he's all in a little pieces, and you go, oh, good, we're done now. Finally, we got rid of this guy. It's over. And then you see the pieces just coalesce and reform back, and you go, oh, shit, here we go again. It's all coming back together now. That's exactly how I felt about seeing this. It's like headline, Greg Hardy, pro boxer now. Oh, no. He's finding a way to stay in this combat sports world, and people are going to take that bait and still keep talking about it. But we don't have to. Yeah. We can make a choice. That choice is ours to make. I said it at the time, and I will reiterate it now. I I felt like I had perhaps never seen a promotional job as cynical as what we put behind Greg Hardy, and when I say we, I mean the UFC, continually putting this guy in big, high-profile spots because he came into the sport preloaded with some notoriety. Infamy, you might say. And yet, you might. even as a former high-level defensive player in the NFL, the reasons that people had to know who Greg Hardy was, the reasons that Greg Hardy had this preloaded fame when he came into the UFC was entirely negative. There was no positive reason for anyone to know who Greg Hardy was as he came into the UFC. And then we capitalized on that and continually put him in these high-profile positions in the UFC uh, that he didn't deserve. And I guess if you can say anything positive about the UFC uh, promotional job on Greg Hardy, and you just mentioned it, was that at some point they seemed to get the message. At some point they kind of seemed to be like, oh, this guy isn't what we hoped he would be. 
And at yeah. that point, they were like, all right, let's drum him out of the sport with some fights we know he'll lose. And they did. But now it seems like, as you said, there's going to be potential for even more of that at boxing. Because I think in boxing, you will have a much greater opportunity to get some more tomato cans that Greg Hardy can potentially beat. So to answer the specific question, no, we don't have to keep talking about it. Yeah. The cynicism is not going to get turned down when you move over there to boxing. So we're, Say that. we're done now. We're done talking about Greg Hardy. This is the moment where we're done right now, right now, now that's going to do it for listener mail. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to this podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us right now, though. We're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, this is a fight that I can honestly say did not go how I thought it was going to go. The heavyweight main event between Alexander Volkov and Jarzino Rosenstrike on Saturday from the Apex down there in Las Vegas, this fight night event. Volkov came into this thing favored, and so I suppose it's not a surprise that he won, but I thought we were headed toward the other kind of heavyweight fight here. I thought that Alexander Volkov would be content to try to keep Jarzino Rosenstrike away from him, to kind of circle around the outside, play the points game a little bit, use his length to, to sort of like outdistance Rosenstrike, and that we would be going to a five-round decision. As it turned out, like Volkov came out of this thing with some urgency, man. He comes out of his corner, he's throwing low kicks, he's throwing push kicks, which I thought was very smart to keep Rosenstrike away from him. He's throwing jabs. And then eventually he ends up hurting him with a with a straight punch, follows up with a flurry. The Rosenstrike appears to be hurt, goes down. Herb Dean jumps in with the stoppage, two minutes and 12 seconds into the first round. It's just a different fight than I thought we were going to get. And I guess my opening questions are, number one, what do we think it means, if anything, for Alexander Volkov to get this victory? And number two, was this an early stoppage? Because the biggie boy has come out later and said that he felt like he could have kept going. He felt like it was an early stoppage. Herb Dean, at one point, uh, you know, arguably one of the top refs in this sport, at this point is a guy that fields a fair amount of criticism for these kind of situations and these stoppages. Did Herb Dean mess this up again, or were you happy with this stoppage? And does it mean anything for Alexander Volkov moving forward? Well, you were right beforehand when you were saying, hey, normally Alexander Volkov likes to stick and, and move from the outside and I'll point somebody from long range. But here we were fighting in the small cage at the apex. Yeah. And so maybe that would force a little more action. And it did just not exactly the way you thought that that was going to look. Uh, I mean, he, he did tag him pretty good. I mean, he sent that mouthpiece flying. That's so true. when, when you, when you get your mouthpiece knocked out your mouth, things aren't going great. Yeah. You know, like it's not a, a sign that you are really handing the guy his ass. But was it a little bit of an early stoppage? Yeah, he passed the what the fuck test. And yet, it doesn't, doesn't it also feel like this is one of those early stoppages where they could have let it, you could let that keep going, but it's probably going to continue down the same path at that point. Because it's like when Herb Dean got in there, Rosenstrike basically had his back turned to Alexander Volkov, like trying to get back up. And 
Volkov, it's, it's not like he was losing steam. You know, we're like two minutes into the first round. It's not like he was getting tired of beating on this guy. He was right there and was willing and able to continue that assault. Probably would have, probably would have ended it a few seconds later, even if we let it go. But, you know, you get surprised sometimes. Some people are are able to hang in there and then later turn things around. It's one of those stoppages where I don't blame the biggie boy for being upset about it. And yet... I'm also not going to get too worked up about it yeah. because I you can see what Herb saw and decided, okay, I need to get in there. Yeah. I think it was Sean Sheehan who tweeted before this fight that it was a massive heavyweight fight between the eighth and seventh ranked heavyweights in the UFC and that the winner had the chance to be ranked either eighth or seventh headed into <laughs> next week. So just <laughs> massive stakes. And I think mean that, you know, that's, that's funny for starters, but also kind of true here because... It kind of felt like Alexander Volkov and Jarzino Rosenstrike were fighting to be the king of the of the second tier of UFC heavyweights. Obviously, you have a situation where Francis Ngannou is still officially your champion, but he has had surgery and he is also involved in this protracted contract dispute with the UFC. We have every reason to believe at this point that he is simply going to wait out the sunset clause in his contract and that he will be a free agent come January of 2023. So that whole situation still needs to to find some clarity and then you've got this tier of guys that is essentially Cyril Gaon, Steve Miocic, Tai Tuivasa, Curtis Blades, arguably Derek Lewis and then the the young up-and-comer Tom Aspinall who are kind of like the A-list UFC heavyweights at this point and not to even mention Jonathan Dwight Jones who could uh, stick his head into this division at any point this year and and shake things up. But I feel like that's sort of your A tier of guys who are going to be jockeying for a position either to fight Francis Ngannou in the unlikely event that he comes to terms with the UFC or to, to try to put themselves in position to be the new champion. And it's felt like Alexander Volkov and the biggie boy, biggie boy for better or for worse, were fighting to be right on the cusp of that, but maybe in your in your B tier, your second tier of UFC heavyweights. And both of these guys are of the age and have been around long enough now that I think it's going to be a little bit harder. They're going to have to go on an extended run to break into that A tier. Uh, And and so, like I said at the beginning of the show, I think it's going to look really good on Alexander Volkov's Wikipedia page a year from now when we look at it and we're like, oh, this guy smoked the biggie boy in two minutes. But in the interim, which is a loaded word to use for this situation, (laughs) but in the short term, let's say, I don't know what this gets him, man. Yeah, I mean, look at this the situation that we were talking about before this fight, and I think that this situation highlights is that what you're doing right now, if you're a ranked heavyweight who's not right there at the top, is you're just staying in the conversation. I mean, the other thing you're doing is you're getting to keep showing up to work and getting paid, which is always you nice. Get paid at home on the couch, always nice. Yeah, uh, especially if you win and you get twice as much money typically as you would have gotten if you lost. Better Again, to win. Than uh-huh. it is to lose frequently a, a, in this sport and others. A truth divinely writ in the sacred scrolls of CME lore. Uh, but m- what you're doing as far as the bigger picture is you're staying in the conversation. Yeah. You're not falling out of the conversation. And so when we get to somewhere six months, year down the road, where maybe we're looking around for somebody to fight for an interim title, or maybe we're looking around for somebody to replace somebody who pulled out or uh, got hurt before a more high-profile fight, you're on the short list of guys they might call. 
answer That's what you're doing. every call that comes in with a Las Vegas area code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you want, if you're a debt collector and you're trying to fuck with Alexander Volkov right now, do one of those tricky things where it looks like you're calling from Prim, Nevada or something. You know, you know how you can do that shit? So they get me. It doesn't work on us in Montana that much because they try to use an area code, like a 406 area code. And you get it and you're like, I don't know anybody in Great Falls. And if I do, I don't want to talk to him. Yeah. But that's how you're going to get Alexander Volkov off the line. He sees that that Vegas area code. Man, he's picking up just on the off chance. They're saying, Alex, what are you doing this weekend? Yeah. Turns Would out you like Tai Tuivasa is tai on the piss. For the, for the, <laughs> we need someone to step in. He's on the piss, turns out, Alexander. Turns out Tai Tuivasa is on the piss, as if it's not just the normal state of things that Tai Tuivasa is on the piss. Alexander Volkov should be jumping out of the shower and calling Dana White like the cable guy and being like, hey, Dana, I thought I heard the phone ring. <laughs> thought it might have been you. It's Alexander Volkov just calling you back. All right. Anywho. You want to talk about it? Just hit me back. Let me know. All right, let's get into uh, are you fucking kidding here? And then we'll are you fucking kidding me here? And then we'll move on to round number two. Uh, Ben, what's your are you fucking kidding me this week? Well, Jed, we were following the ongoing saga of the athlete, Paulo Costa. Yeah, the athlete. He's released a statement. Yeah, last week, I believe we talked about it on the power rankings uh, on the CME power hour, which, again, if you are not down with that via our Patreon, you really should be, because it's a good time. He released that statement, which, frankly, felt like an ad for using actual human uh, translators instead of some kind of weird app you found on the internet. Because that thing did not tell us anything about what actually may have transpired in this alleged incident between Paulo Costa and a nurse at a vaccine clinic in Brazil. And then... Kind of mixed messages from Paulo ever since because he put out this video where he's clearly reading off a statement. And even then, it seems unclear if they had to do a whole bunch of takes and edit it together. You see this video where it's we're treating it very seriously. He abhors any type of violence. He's going to show these pictures of the nurse that were taken at the police station and point out she doesn't look like she's hurt. I imagine how much damage I could do to somebody if I hit if I hit a woman in the face with my elbow. She'd be really hurt. And this woman doesn't seem that hurt. And you know, very, very seriously refuting these allegations. Um, at the same time, though, at the same time, my man is over here on Twitter, you know, cracking jokes. Like, uh, here's a tweet that he sent just a few days ago. Rumors say the nurse has a best chin than Luke Rockhold. I did see that one. I did see that one. And I believe my exact response was, ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... Also, this in this video, though, where he's talking about how, you know, he, he's showing the pictures of the nurse and talking about all the, the, the damage that he could do. Um, quote, any form of violence against women is unacceptable as a result of misleading imputations simply serve to discredit and hide the actual battle against women's violence. We know this kind of false allegation is very serious. So I really hope this woman decides to make her public apologies or else legal actions may be necessary, unfortunately. Jet, are you fucking kidding me? You're going to tell me that Paulo Costa allegedly tried to make off with a vaccine car without getting the vaccine. Remember, that's how all this started. Remember, that was the, the core dispute at the center of this alleged incident. Uh, allegedly struck a woman in the face during the, the course of this. 
and Paulo Costa is out here demanding that she apologize to him. Yeah. If I can get at me. If I can get at me. Too many imputations. Unacceptable. Flying Unacceptable around. number of imputations. Yeah. That's a, that's a hardy are you fucking kidding me this week. This week for but the we're athlete. also... Just because that this very serious situation that is uh, discrediting the actual battle against women's violence doesn't mean we can't use it to, for as a... Uh, a springboard to a sweet Luke Rockhold burn. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Fucking kidding me? <laughs> kidding me? Well, Ben, the other saga that we were following last week on the Power Hour would be that of our guy, Oscar Mazarov, who dubbed himself the Ukrainian Conor McGregor last week. He said people say. Some people say. Many people were saying that in Ukraine, yeah. he was noted as, as being the Ukrainian Conor McGregor. Started out the week at, I think, 27 and 5 on his professional record, then got downgraded to something like 21 and 11 midweek. Then you had Sherdog.com and Tapology coming out, talking about all the malfeasance and skullduggery that had gone on with this guy's record. And eventually, by the time he got in the actual cage to fight Alonzo Minifield, had been reduced to 19 and 12 as a professional record, which still a winning record, but less impressive than 25 and 7 heading into his UFC debut. And then Alonzo Menafield wore him around the cage like a tiny pair of shorts that Conor McGregor might wear while he's out on the yacht about to take in an F1 car race. This was ugly from which, start to finish. Which yacht? Uh, the, 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 the Lambo yacht, the okay, little one. Okay, because he got two. Yeah, no, I know he's got two. Uh, let's not get sidetracked. Okay. Let's not get sidetracked. This thing ends with Alonzo Menafield getting the crucifix. Yep. And elbowing the Ukrainian Conor McGregor right in his dome until the referee had to stop it. AKA the most embarrassing way to lose an MMA fight in 2022. Oh, no. Getting That's fucking crude. Let's not get sidetracked. No, but getting okay. crucifixed and elbowed in his face until the referee had to stop it, then gets up and seems like he's angry that Alonzo Menafield had the audacity to take him down during their mixed martial arts fight. Are you fucking kidding me? This was some clown shit from yep. start to finish. Clown shit, bro. What, what could he been angry about? What what do you what's your gripe? That that the guy elbowed the shit out of you as is his job to do? Yeah. I think it might I, have been uh one of those situations where maybe you were actually angry at yourself. <laughs> but you allowed <laughs> some <laughs> displaced aggression to to you, you projected that onto Alonzo Menafield. I think that's Also the most most embarrassing way to lose is if you take somebody's back and you make the mistake across on your feet and then they do that white okay. belt jujitsu shit. And that also happened last week. I saw a mm -hmm. highlight of that happening. You're probably yep. right about that. That is more embarrassing. Yeah. That or the old uh, Hello Japan and, and then Shinya Aoki reminds you, oh yeah, he's still on your back and he's really good at submissions and he just chokes the shit out of you. Although to, at lose, that point, to lose once you've crossed your feet, you had to get on the guy's back in the first place. True. And the Ukrainian Conor McGregor weren't even close. He had what you might want to call nothing. He had nothing for Alonzo Menafield in this thing. And he, he just got it pounded out in the second most embarrassing way that you could lose an well, MMA fight. I mean, 
Remember we were talking about how half the battle is getting people to remember your name and know who the hell you are? He he got that half of the battle. <laughs> yeah, I don't Give know. Give credit for that. I don't know that this is that kind of situation, though. I don't think this is where the UFC is going to be like, let's bring this guy back and have him fight again because people are sure to remember him at this point. I mean, Ukrainian Conor McGregor with the fake-ass record. Oh, yeah, him. See? That guy. It, we, we know him. Half the battle. It's just it's the other half that you got to worry about, too. Yeah. In any case, that's going to go for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Ben, interesting to note that as of this morning, challenger Yuri Prohaska is going off as close to a two-to-one favorite over the champion, Glover Tashira, in this weekend's UFC 275 main event. You can get Prohaska right now at minus 195 and underdog money on the champion, if that perks your ears up at all, plus 165 on Glover Tashira. All this over at the DraftKings Sportsbook the official sports book of the UFC. And of course, we're excited to welcome DraftKings as one of the CME's newest sponsors as well. New customers can bet $5 on UFC 275 and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking for a big payday? Check out DraftKings Sportsbook's newest UFC feature, Same Game Parlays. Combine multiple bets like which fighter will win, number of knockouts, and more uh, for your shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, you can place a same-game parlay for UFC's Saturday fights, and if it hits, you'll double your winnings. Ben, tell them how it works. We download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code COMAINEVENT, all one word. Throw down $5 on UFC 275. Get $150 in free bets instantly. That's code COMAINEVENT. All one word this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See our show notes for details. Now, one of the interesting things about Yuri Prohaska here, the challenger, who, as I mentioned, is favored to take the title off Glover Deshira at UFC 275, is that this is only his third UFC fight, that he will be vying for the title after his back-to-back wins over Vulcan Ozdemir at UFC 251 and Dominic Reyes uh, in May of last year. So uh, that's kind of rarefied air, man. That doesn't happen for just anybody. You're getting into like Brock Lesnar, uh, Anderson Silva type territory when you're fighting for the UFC title after just that many fights. And obviously some of that has to do with the UFC light heavyweight division, just not having a ton of dudes in it right now. But I think some of it also speaks to the high expectations for Yuri Prohaska and how we view him as being at a championship level and having a real shot to win this fight, being the favored guy to win this fight. Are you surprised that this wonderful Weirdsmobile, the 29-year-old Yuri Prohaska, has found himself in a championship championship opportunity this quickly in his UFC career? Not really given the state of light heavyweight. I think that it makes sense that... You know, you just sort of by process of elimination, you take out somebody like Dominic Reyes and you do it in exciting fashion. And then they we look around and go, well, what do we got? What other realistic matchups do we have that we can make that people might want to see for the title at light heavyweight? 
because it's sort of either you book some sort of a re- immediate rematch between Glover and uh, Yanni Blackjacks. Nobody really wants to see that, I think. Uh, or you've got to move on and look to the potential future of the division and somebody like Yuri P. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I also see what odds makers are thinking and making him the favorite there. Just because it feels like we, while are we might be happy for Glover to see him get a title at this point in his career, we also think it's the, the, the sun is sinking low on the horizon for the old fella. And good for him. He got that belt, got to call himself a UFC champion, but we don't know if there's a ton of bullets left in the gun. And then you got this dynamic youngster who seems like he has a style that, especially if he can keep it standing, matches up pretty well with Clover. Uh, I, I guess I, I understand what we're thinking here, but it also feels like nobody, like, we're happy that Glover got this chance, but nobody is necessarily treating him like the champion, which, you know, that happens sometimes when you haven't yet defended the belt and you just got it and you weren't really expected to get it in the first place. But everybody's going to go in like, well, we'll believe it if you win this one. Yeah. Then we'll start walking around and talking about you like you are the man at that division. And yeah. it's, not, it's not happening yet. I, this is an interesting matchup for me for a lot of different reasons, not not the least of which because you have, like I said at the beginning of the show, the old dog versus the young Weirdsmobile here. You've got Glover Tashira, a guy who has clearly been around in this division, in this company for a long, long time and has this sort of Cinderella story at this point of being the champion, squaring off with Yuri Prohaska, who just showed up and has only two fights into his career and, and had a, a decorated career before that, but is just starting to make his mark in the UFC. But also you've got this interesting matchup of styles between these two guys where Glover is very kind of meat and potatoes. Like everything he does is uh, like a rudiment of uh, mixed martial arts, but he's so good at all of it. And if he can get you in situations where he can, he can apply those skills, he can clearly be very dangerous as we know by now. And Yuri Brahazka is much more dynamic, but also a little bit more unorthodox and a little bit wilder. And so one of the things that I'm interested to see here is if Yuri, Yuri Prohaska comes out kind of wide open, as we've seen him do in the past, throwing these big strikes and doing all this kind of crazy stuff, will he give Glover some openings to get in there and put him in a position where, where Glover can be dominant and do Glover to Shira type stuff? That's kind of one of the things I'm interested to see. Like if Yuri Prohaska comes out here throwing a bunch of, of, of wild strikes, does Glover Tashira just take him down, methodically work to half guard or side control or someplace where Glover Tashira wants to be and either get a submission or pound him out? Because if I'm Glover Tashira's coach, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if I'm Glover Tashira's coach, I'm not saying, hey, Let's go down there to the Singapore Indoor Stadium. Let's walk to the center of the cage and let's just slug it out with this fucker. Let's just, you know what? Let's see who got the faster hands out there, Glover. Like, that's that's not what I'm doing. a test of speed and athleticism. I'm saying, see if we can't catch this guy coming forward with a head of steam and then change levels on him. Or let's see if we can't walk him back toward that cage and then go to work. Yeah. You know? And... Maybe I think this could be one of those fights where we can tell a lot about what's in store by what happens on the first takedown attempt. I mean, if if, if he can get in there and drag this guy down, 
or at least just get him, get your hands on him and get in there close and get into that kind of a fight with him so that we're not standing out there at range and letting him throw all kinds of crazy spinning, jumping shit at you, then, hey, maybe you got a chance there. Maybe the old dog latches on and doesn't let go. But if you wind up, you know, you, you shoot for a single leg or something, the guy shrugs you off, circles back out into open space and says, hey, meet me over here on the Monster Energy logo or some shit, then that's bad news. Yeah. I'm not seeing any uh, prop bet lines at this point over at the DraftKings Sportsbook, but you know, if, you, if you've got $20 you never want to see again, it'll be kind of interesting to see where that Glover Tashira submission line is at once we start uh, looking at some of these bets a little closer, because if you're, if you're just throwing money up in the air and you can get some, some plus odds on that, that's, that might be a live dog. Uh, but high hopes, obviously, for uh, Yuri Prohaska from almost everybody. I think you've got uh, Yanni Blackjacks already talking about how they get 65,000 people in a stadium if these guys fight for the UFC light heavyweight title uh, in Eastern Europe somewhere. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of different uh, uh, plot lines at work here, but you got to get by Glover Shira first. And that's that's not as easy as a lot of people have thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah. I guess if you're a Yuri Prohaska here, you just... You hoping to go out there and blitz this guy with your uh, with your wild and crazy style, with your uh, with your wide open strikes and your superior speed and athleticism? I guess. I mean, yes, I do. If I'm Yuri P, I do think I'm going to be faster than this guy, more dynamic than him, and that's going to make the difference. But I also think I want to keep him right at this certain range. I don't want to let him get inside of that. I don't want to get into some kind of clinch scenario with Glover Teixeira. I don't want to give him a chance to to potentially drag me down or just slow the fight down. I want it to be at a a kicking range, and I want it to be fast, and I want it to be wide open. I don't let him slow that pace down. Yeah. Like, let's keep it kind of frantic and wide open. Uh, and, I, I mean, you saw that in the Dominic Reyes fight that he's sort of – Oddly comfortable in that type of chaos. And I think especially against somebody like Glover, who is, uh, you know, was never necessarily the fastest guy, even when he was closer to his athletic prime. I think that's where your real advantage is going to be. Yeah. Everybody in the damn division probably thinks they're faster and more dynamic than Glover Tashira. Last six guys he fought probably thought that. They all came out on the losing end. Uh, it'll be interesting, though. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to it, just from a, like a uh, a pure MMA kind of chess match viewing experience. Can't wait to find out what happens when these guys meet up in the cage on Saturday. Uh, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Ben, I frequently say amid this 
fast and furious UFC schedule that these fights sneak up on me. And that is kind of always true of a Valentina Shevchenko fight at this point. And one of the reasons that I feel like the Valentina Shevchenko fights sneak up on me is that almost nobody is even talking about him anymore because she has beat so many people, because she has looked so overwhelming in her skills, because she has seemed so far ahead of all of the competition that you look up and you see Valentina Shevchenko fighting Talia Santos this weekend. And I think the first thing you think is, wow, really? We're doing that this weekend? And the second thing you think is, who? Talia Santos is out here, the 28-year-old twenty-eight Brazilian, a product of the Dana White Contender Series, has run off four wins in a row in the UFC. Uh, you know, she beat the former Joanne Calderwood, currently uh, Joanne Wood. She beat Roxanne Mataferi. She beat Jillian Robinson, and she beat Molly McCann. So nice little uh, win streak here for Talia Santos. At the same time, none of those people are Valentina Shevchenko, man. And now you're going to yep. go in here and you're going to fight the champ. She is plus 450. Valentina Shevchenko is minus 630 heading into this fight, which actually is not that long of, of odds for a Valentina Shevchenko fight. We've seen right. worse. Yeah, so way worse. That's why I said at the beginning, odds makers seem to think Talia Santos doesn't really have a chance. But at the same time, Four to one going in there against Valentina Shevchenko as a four to one underdog. It's not, that's not that bad. It's not as bad as we've seen before. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, she does have some ability and I, I know that nobody's going to say no to a title shot from the UFC, but I could understand if maybe this was one where Talia Santos's uh, people might've heard the offer and been like, if only it were coming in two years. If only we had a chance to get a little more seasoning and experience against some tougher fighters before we go in there to face Valentina at the absolute goddamn height of her powers. What are you going to do? You're going to tell the UFC, no, thank you. We would not like to fight for the title right now. We're just going to hang out. You got any fight nights coming up? You got got any space at the Apex? (laughs) Yeah. No, you're not going to say that. You're going to say, yes, we will fight for that title. Uh, Take our chances take our increased venom outfitting pay and and roll the dice and see where we come out but yeah you look at the people she's faced people she's beat and then there's a great chasm between that level of competition and where Valentina Shevchenko is at right now and i guess i mean you're right that the odds are closer than you'd think and i, I guess part of me wonders if that's just the odds makers are going well you know you're on top for a while. You got to lose eventually. This this opponent has some athletic ability. She could fuck around and catch you if you do something wrong. But also, I'm trying to picture it. I'm trying to picture what your path to victory over Valentina Shevchenko looks like, and I can't get there in my yeah. mind. And whereas for Valentina Shevchenko, I think she could do anything she wants. She could just pick the way she wants to win this fight. And right now, she is just so good all around, uh, so confident, and goes in there acting like she's already won and we're just here to find out exactly how. Yeah. You know? And yet, if she does lose, it is it is likely to be one of these fights where we have kind of overlooked it heading in because that's kind of how they all are right now. And it doesn't seem like there are a lot of opportunities in the current landscape to give Valentina Shevchenko something bigger to do. 
right? We've already seen her go out there and fight Amanda Nunes, and now Nunes is is involved in this uh, feud trying to get her title back from Juliana Pena. And there's just not a lot of other, you know, quote unquote, big fight or super fight opportunities out there for Valentina Shevchenko. So I, I guess if you're a UFC matchmaker, maybe you feel like you have no choice but to just keep sending her out there to keep picking off these uh, contenders in her own division. And in some ways in MMA, that's that's a little bit of a dangerous game. As overwhelming yeah. as Valentina Shevchenko has appeared in the past and continues to appear to be, it kind of seems like everybody gets stung at some point. And so, so when she does lose, it's going to be potentially one of these sort of shocking situations where someone like Talia Santos comes in and we all look at it and we think, oh, another walkover for Valentina Shevchenko. And then it just doesn't go that way. So uh, I don't know if you're tuning in hoping to see that or tuning in uh, expecting to see that, but at some point it could happen unless Valentina Shevchenko is the exception that proves the rule and goes out there and manages to, to, uh, you know, essentially become the greatest of all time by extending this win streak on and on and on. But, uh, I don't know, man, these matchups, they, 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 uh, it certainly feels like we're scrounging around at this point. And like you said, maybe rushing people into these matchups a little bit before they're ready, but I don't know if you have any other option. Because you've just been that damn good. Yeah, uh, it does sometimes feel like we've reached the point of Valentina Shevchenko where we are throwing another sacrifice into the volcano. Yeah, you know, if we, we got the rains got to fall and the crops have got to grow, and that means once a quarter, basically, Valentina Shevchenko has to absolutely fucking murk somebody to keep the gods happy. And here we go again. It's that time again. Singapore Indoor Stadium. I mean, I guess if you're going to do it, you might as well do it at the granddaddy of them all, the Singapore Indoor Stadium. Right down the street from the National Stadium, sports complex, the sports hub. And down there at the sports hub. All right, let's do Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week. Uh, Ben, this week I saw Jeff Molina go out there, pre-fight, put on the the UFC Pride Month rainbow-colored fight kit to go out there for his pre-fight festivities. And uh, then he had this to say in the post fight of some of the reaction that he received when he tweeted about it uh, on the social medias. He says, I was honestly shocked. Molina told reporters, I'm looking at the MMA junkie story here uh, by Danny Segura and Ken Hathaway. I was honestly shocked. He's talking about the negative reaction that he got from some people. So I picked the colors because I thought it looked cool. And then also it supports a good cause, but I will support anything of a community that's been oppressed and ostracized for some time now uh, for something they can't help. I'll get, uh, I'll get behind any of that. I just thought in 2022 people would be a little bit more open-minded and not pieces of shit, but I guess I was wrong. It's just crazy to me. Uh, Like some people were saying just some crazy shit. Uh, First of all, I guess I'm just saying, I wish we had a, like about a thousand Jeff Molinas out here uh, mm-hmm. because MMA in particular needs people who are willing to do the right thing and stand up and, uh, you know, uh, make it look like we are not all, as he puts it, fucking pieces of shit. Uh, the second thing I'm just saying is like, apparently he's never interacted with MMA fans before, which is a strange <laughs> place for Jeff Molina to be because otherwise I can't understand why he would think that people would be a little bit more open-minded because brother, I got news for you. Not in this neck of the woods. Yeah. This, this, I'm just saying this is, uh, the, re- the response. If you read some of the replies to the tweet 
Not cool, but also not shocking. Yeah. I mean, when he said the part about like, I can't believe it's 2022. You'd think people would be a little open, more, a little more open minded. Yes, you would. You would think except, that. Except, yeah. except in this corner. But also, I mean, on a serious point, we've talked before about how the UFC has really sort of leaned into courting a conservative fan base. I mean, they want all the fans they can get. They're not really picking and choosing. They just want your money, no matter who you are. But, you know, you got Dana White speaking at the Republican National Convention. You got fighters going on like Candace Owens and stuff. If they're leaning in any political direction, MMA and its fighters and the UFC especially, they're they're not afraid to lean conservative. Dana White's out here talking about, hey, we don't believe in that cancel culture stuff. You could say what you want. We don't censor our athletes. I mean, unless they say something about a sponsor or come out with a national flag uh, that you don't like. Uh, And so they sort of leaned toward this and then you find out that a bunch of your fans are homophobic shit heels maybe one of those things has something to do with the other you know what i mean you, you kind of you, you 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 held the tent wide open for those people to come in and then don't be surprised when they're there but i'm just saying this week chad speaking of people who should know better who they're dealing with we talked before about how davy figs not that happy with the UFC's decision to come up with an interim flyweight title for Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France to fight over uh, in July at UFC 277. He's the champion. He's upset about it. He, sa- he says, it's a joke what they've done. I'm reading the MMA fighting story over here from Guillermo Cruz, uh, the big homie. Quote from Figueredo, I'm very upset and I'll send the UFC all the exams I have that prove my injury because I've heard that they haven't received these documents uh, and says that, Uh, He thinks that basically they don't know that his injury is legit. I think there was some miscommunication. The UFC was supposed to get these documents that prove my injury. But from what I've heard, the UFC hasn't received it. They could have reached out to me to know if I was okay instead of booking a fight for an interim belt. That was bullshit. I've saved a main event in the UFC doing the quickest turnaround in the history of the UFC as champion. And now I'm getting ripped off. The belt is mine. There's no other belt except for this plastic belt. This joke they're doing between Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France. So he's heated. He's mad at the UFC. I guess I'm just saying, don't don't sweat it too much about the documents, Davison, because that they don't actually give a shit about that. Yeah, it's not. They're not looking at the fax machine in the UFC offices, going, "Do we get Davison Figueroa's medical documents that prove his injury yet?" No, interim belt. That's not how the decision tree works to get them to arrive at the conclusion that they should do an interim belt. That's just the thing that they do, man. If you, if you can't turn around right now and fill the spot on the calendar that they need for a title fight, they flip the page in the playbook. It says interim belt. They go get one out of the supply closet, and then that's what they do. That's the, that's just the, the standard routine for the UFC. It ain't the documents, bro. Yeah. It ain't that they don't believe your injury is legit. They just don't care. Yeah. I'm just saying. Just saying. If it's a pain in the ass to go down to the doctor's office, you could skip it. That's all I'm just, just take that errand off your to-do list, man. That is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Of course, we'll be over at the Patreon page all week, Wednesday, live chat, Thursdays, doing the damn thing. Friday power hour. Check us out over there. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Do you think it's a thing where... 
was like calling up the UFC and be like, what, didn't you guys get the documents about my injury? And they'd be like, oh, uh, no, 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 didn't get them. Do you get them? fax machine has been acting funny. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. You might want to resend them. God, I said, like I said on Friday during the power hour, I legitimately think it's a situation where every one of these MMA fighters is like, oh, they wouldn't do that to me, though. Like, they wouldn't make an interim title to me. I'm Davison Figueredo. Like, I, yeah. Don't they know? Like, I'm, I'll be back before long. They, they don't have to do an interim title. I just, you know what? They need to see my facts. I'll send them my facts. That'll clear right up. Okay. Let me just make sure they see all these documents. Because when they see these documents, they tell a very 